0: were the days. Thank you for joining me for the fourth installment of Emma by Jane Austen. If you're reading along, today's episode encompasses chapters 23 through 28. Do you have your tea? I'm drinking mud water today, which is kind of like a coffee substitute made out of mushrooms. Sounds weird, I know, but it's actually super delicious. All right, anyways, let's just jump right in. Chapter 23 heart had harriet for visiting only half an hour before her friend called for her at mrs goddard's her evil stars had led her to the very spot where at that moment a trunk directed to the reverend philip elton Hart bath was to be seen under the operation of being lifted into the butcher's cart which was to convey it to where the coaches passed and everything in this world except that trunk and the direction was consequently a blank she went however and when they reached the farm and she was to be put down at the end of the broad neat gravel walk which led between Espalier apple trees to the front door, the sight of everything which had given her so much pleasure the autumn before was beginning to revive a little local agitation, and when they parted, Emma observed her to be looking around with a sort of fearful curiosity, which determined her not to allow the visit to exceed the proposed quarter of an hour. She went on herself to give that portion of time to an old servant who was married and settled in Donwell. The quarter of an hour brought her punctually to the White Gate again, and Miss Smith receiving her summons was with her without delay, and unattended by an alarming young man. She came solitarily down the gravel walk, a Miss Martin just appearing at the door and parting with her seemingly with ceremonious civility. Harriet could not very soon give an intelligible account. She was feeling too much, but at last Emma collected from her enough to understand the sort of meeting and the sort of pain it was creating. She had seen only Mrs. Martin and the two girls. They had received her doubtingly, if not coolly, and nothing beyond the merest commonplace had been talked almost all the time. Till just at last, when Mrs. Martin saying all of a sudden that she thought Miss Smith was grown... brought on a more interesting subject, and a warmer manner. In that very room she had been measured last September with her two friends. There were the penciled marks and memorandums on the wainscot by the window. He had done it. They all seemed to remember the day, the hour, the party, the occasion, to feel the same consciousness, the same regrets, to be ready to return to the same good understanding, and they were just growing again like themselves, Harriet as Emma must suspect, as ready as the best of them to be cordial and happy, when the carriage reappeared and all was over. The style of the visit and the shortness of it were then felt to be decisive. Fourteen minutes to be given to those with whom she had thankfully passed six weeks not six months ago. Emma could not but picture it all and feel how justly they might resent how naturally Harriet must defer. It was a bad business. she would have given a great deal or endured a great deal to have had the Martins in a higher rank of life. They were so deserving that little higher should have been enough, but as it was, how could she have done otherwise? impossible, she could not repent. They must be separated, but there was a great deal of pain in the process so much to herself at this time, that she soon felt the necessity of a little consolation, and resolved on going home by way of Randalls to procure it. Her mind was quite sick of Mr. Alton and the Martins. The refreshment of Randalls was absolutely necessary. It was a good scheme, but on driving to the door they heard that neither master nor mistress was at home. They had both been out some time. The man believed they were gone to Hartfield. This is too bad, cried Emma as they turned away, and now we shall just miss them, too provoking. I do not know when I have been so disappointed, and she leaned back on the corner to indulge her murmurs or to reason them away, probably a little of both, such being the commonest process of a not ill-disposed mind. Presently the carriage stopped. She looked up. It was stopped by Mr. and Mrs. Weston, who were standing to speak to her. There was instant pleasure in the sight of them, and still greater pleasure was conveyed in sound, for Mr. Weston immediately accosted her with, "'How do you do? How do you do? We have been sitting with your father. Glad to see him so well. Frank comes to-morrow. I had a letter this morning.' "'We see him to-morrow by dinner-time to a certainty. "'He is at Oxford to-day, and he comes for a whole fortnight. "'I knew it would be so. "'If he had come at Christmas, he could not have stayed three days. "'I was always glad he did not come at Christmas. "'Now we are going to have just the right weather for him. "'Fine, dry, settled weather. "'We shall enjoy him completely. "'Everything has turned out exactly as we could wish.' "'There was no resisting such news, "'no possibility of avoiding the influence "'of such a happy face as Mr. Weston's, "'confirmed as it all was by the words and the countenance of his wife, "'fewer and quieter, but not less to the purpose.' to know that she thought his coming certain was enough to make Emma consider it so, and sincerely did she rejoice in their joy. It was most delightful reanimation of exhausted spirits. The worn-out past was sunk in the freshness of what was coming, and in the rapidity of half a moment's thought, she hoped Mr. Elton would now be talked of no more. Mr. Weston gave her the history of the engagements at Enscombe, which allowed his son to answer for having an entire fortnight at his command, as well as the route and the method of his journey, and she listened and smiled and congratulated. I shall soon bring him over to Hartfield, said he, at the conclusion. Emma could imagine she saw a touch of the arm at this speech from his wife. "'We'd better move on, Mr. Weston,' said she. "'We are detaining the girls.' "'Well, well, I am ready,' and turning again to Emma. "'But you must not be expecting such a very fine young man. "'You have only had my account, you know. "'I dare say he is really nothing extraordinary.' though his own sparkling eyes at the moment were speaking a very different conviction. "'Emma could look perfectly unconscious and innocent, "'and answer in a manner that appropriated nothing. "'Think of me tomorrow, my dear Emma, about four o'clock,' "'was Mrs. Weston's parting injunction.' spoken with the same anxiety and meant only for her four o'clock depend upon it he will be here by three was mr weston's quick amendment and so ended a most satisfactory median Emma's spirits were mounted quite up to happiness everything wore a different air james and his horses seemed not half so sluggish as before when she looked at the hedges she thought the elder at least must soon be coming out and when she turned round to harriet she saw something like a look of spring a tender smile even there When Mr. Frank Churchill passed through Bath, as well as Oxford, was a question, however, which did not auger much. But neither geography nor tranquility could come all at once, and Emma was now in a humor to resolve that they should both come in time. The morning of the interesting day arrived, and Mrs. Weston's faithful pupil did not forget either at ten or eleven or twelve o'clock that she was to think of her at four. My dear, dear, anxious friend, said she, in mental soliloquy, while walking downstairs from her own room, always over-careful for everybody's comfort but your own. I see you now, in all your little fidgets, going again and again into his room, to be sure that all is right. The clock struck twelve as she passed through the hall. "'Tis twelve. I shall not forget to think of you. Four hours hence, and by this time to-morrow, perhaps, or a little later, I may be thinking of the possibility of their all-calling here. I am sure they will bring him soon.' She opened the parlour door and saw two gentlemen sitting with her father, Mr. Weston and his son. They had been arrived only a few minutes, and Mr. Weston had scarcely finished his explanation of Frank's being a day before his time, and her father was yet in the midst of his very civil welcome and congratulations when she appeared to have her share of surprise, introduction, and pleasure. The Frank Churchill so long talked of, so high in interest, was actually before her. He was presented to her, and she did not think too much had been said in his praise. He was a very good-looking young man. Height, air, address, all were unexceptionable, and his countenance had a great deal of the spirit and liveliness of his father's. He looked quick and sensible. She felt immediately that she should like him, and there was a well-bred ease of manner and a readiness to talk which convinced her that he came intending to be acquainted with her, and that acquainted they soon must be. He had reached Randalls the evening before. She was pleased with the eagerness to arrive, which had made him alter his plan, and travel earlier, later, and quicker, that he might gain half a day. "'I told you yesterday,' cried Mr. Weston with exultation. "'I told you all that he would be here before the time named. "'I remembered what I used to do myself. "'One cannot creep upon a journey.' One cannot help getting on faster than one is planned, and the pleasure of coming in upon one's friends before the lookout begins is worth a great deal more than any little exertion it needs. It is a great pleasure where one can indulge it, said the young man. There are not many houses that I should presume on so far, but in coming home I felt I might do anything. The word home made his father look on him with fresh complacency. Emma was directly sure that he knew how to make himself agreeable. The conviction was strengthened by what followed was very much pleased with Randall's, thought it a most admirably arranged house, would hardly allow it even to be very small, admired the situation, the walk to Highbury, Highbury itself, Hartfield still more, and professed himself to have always felt the sort of interest in the country which none but one's own country gives, and the greatest curiosity to visit it, that he should never have been able to indulge so amiable a feeling before passed suspiciously through Emma's brain, but still, if it were a falsehood, it was a pleasant one, and pleasantly handled. His manner had no air of study or exaggeration. He did really look and speak as if in a state of common enjoyment their subjects in general were such as belong to an opening acquaintance on his side were the inquiries was she a horsewoman pleasant rides pleasant walks had they a large neighborhood highbury perhaps afforded society enough there were several very pretty houses in and about it balls had they balls was it a musical society but when satisfied on all these points and their acquaintance proportionately advanced he contrived to find an opportunity while their two fathers were engaged with each other of introducing his mother-in-law and speaking of her with so much handsome praise, so much warm admiration, so much gratitude for the happiness she secured to his father, and her very kind reception of himself, as was an additional proof of his knowing how to please, and of his certainly thinking it worthwhile to try to please her. He did not advance a word of praise beyond what she knew to be thoroughly deserved by Mrs. Weston, but, undoubtedly, he could know very little of the matter. He understood what would be welcome, he could be sure of little else. His father's marriage, he said, had been the wisest measure. Every friend must rejoice in it, and the family from whom he had received such a blessing must be ever considered as having conferred the highest obligation on him. He got near as he could to thanking her for Miss Taylor's merits without seeming quite to forget that, in the common course of things, it was to be rather supposed that Miss Taylor had formed Miss Woodhouse's character than Miss Woodhouse Miss Taylor's, and at last, as if resolved to qualify his opinion completely for traveling around to its object, He wound it all up with astonishment at the youth and beauty of her person. Elegant, agreeable manners I was prepared for, said he, but I confess that, considering everything, I had not expected more than a very tolerably well-looking woman of a certain age. I did not know that I was to find a pretty young woman in Mrs. Weston. You cannot see too much perfection in Mrs. Weston for my feelings, said Emma. Were you to guess her to be eighteen, I should listen with pleasure, but she would be ready to quarrel with you for using such words. Don't let her imagine that you have spoken of her as a pretty young woman i hope i should know better he replied no depend upon it with a gallant bow that in addressing mrs weston i should understand whom i might praise without any danger of being thought extravagant in my terms emma wondered whether the same suspicion of what might be expected from their knowing each other which had taken strong possession of her mind had ever crossed his and whether his compliments were to be considered as marks of acquiescence or proofs of defiance she must see more of him to understand his ways at present she only felt they were agreeable she had no doubt of what mr weston was often thinking about his quick eye, she detected again and again glancing towards them with a happy expression and even when he might have determined not to look she was confident that he was often listening her own father's perfect exemption from any thought of the kind the entire deficiency in him of all such sort of penetration or suspicion was a most comfortable circumstance happily he was not further from approving matrimony than from foreseeing it though always objecting to every marriage that was arranged he never suffered beforehand from the apprehension of any It seemed as if he could not think so ill of any two persons' understanding as to suppose they meant to marry till it were proved against them. She blessed the favoring blindness. He could now, without the drawback of a single unpleasant surmise, without a glance forward at any possible treachery in his guest, give way to all his natural kind-hearted civility. In solicitous inquiries after Mr. Frank Churchill's accommodation on his journey through the sad evils of sleeping two nights on the road, and express very genuine unmixed anxiety to know that he had certainly escaped catching cold, which, however, he could not allow him to feel quite assured of himself till after another night. A reasonable visit paid, Mr. Weston began to move. He must be going. He had business at the Crown, about his hay, and a great many errands for Mrs. Weston at Ford's, but he need not hurry anybody else. His son, too well-bred to hear the hint, rose immediately also, saying, "'As you are going further on business, sir, I will take the opportunity of paying a visit, which must be paid some day or other, and therefore may as well be paid now.' I have the honor of being acquainted with a neighbor of yours turning to emma a lady residing in or near highbury a family of the name fairfax i shall have no difficulty i suppose in finding the house though fairfax i believe is not the proper name i should rather say barnes or bates do you know any family of that name to be sure we do cried his father mrs bates we passed her house i saw miss bates at the window true true you are acquainted with miss fairfax i remember you knew her at weymouth and a fine girl she is call upon her by all means there is no necessity for my calling this morning said the young man another day would do as well but there was that degree of acquaintance at weymouth which oh go to-day go to-day do not defer it what is right to be done cannot be done too soon and besides i must give you a hint frank any want of attention to her here should be carefully avoided You saw her with the Campbells, when she was the equal of everybody she mixed with. But here she is with a poor old grandmother, who has barely enough to live on. If you do not call early, it will be a slight. The son looked convinced. I have heard her speak of the acquaintance, said Emma. She is a very elegant young woman. He agreed to it, but with so quiet a yes, as inclined her almost to doubt his real concurrence. And yet there must be a very distinct sort of elegance for the fashionable world, if Jane Fairfax could be thought only ordinarily gifted with it. If you were never particularly struck by her manners before, said she, I think you will today. You will see her to advantage see her and hear her no i am afraid you will not hear her at all for she has an aunt who never holds her tongue you are acquainted with jane fairfax sir are you said mr woodhouse always the last to make his way in conversation then give me leave to assure you that you will find her a very agreeable young lady she is staying here on a visit to her grandmamma and aunt very worthy people i have known them all my life they will be extremely glad to see you i am sure and one of the servants shall go with you to show you the way my dear sir upon no account in the world my father can direct me "'but your father is not going so far. He is only going to the Crown, "'quite on the other side of the street, "'and there are a great many houses. "'You might be very much at a loss, "'and it is a very dirty walk, "'unless you keep on the footpath, "'but my coachman can tell you "'where you had best cross the street.' Mr. Frank Churchill still declined it, looking as serious as he could, and his father gave his hearty support by calling out, "'My good friend, this is quite unnecessary. "'Frank knows a puddle of water when he sees it.' and as to Mrs. Bates's, he may get there from the crown in a hop, step, and jump. They were permitted to go alone, and with a cordial nod from one and a graceful bow from the other, the two gentlemen took leave. Emma remained very well pleased with this beginning of the acquaintance, and could now engage to think of them all at Randall's any hour of the day with full confidence in their comfort. Chapter 24. The next morning brought Mr. Frank Churchill again. He came with Mrs. Weston, to whom, and to Highbury he seemed to take very cordially, He'd been sitting with her, it appeared, most companionably at home, till her usual hour of exercise, and on being desired to choose their walk, immediately fixed on Highbury. He did not doubt there being very pleasant walks in every direction, but if left to him, he should always choose the same. Highbury, that airy, cheerful, happy-looking Highbury, would be his constant attraction. Highbury, with Mrs. Weston, stood for Hartfield, and she trusted to its bearing the same construction with him. They walked thither directly." Emma had hardly expected them, for Mr. Weston, who had called in for half a minute in order to hear that his son was very handsome, knew nothing of their plans, and it was an agreeable surprise to her, therefore, to perceive them walking up to the house together, arm in arm. She was wanting to see him again, and especially to see him in company with Mrs. Weston, upon his behavior, to whom her opinion of him was to depend. If he were deficient there, nothing should make amends for it, but on seeing them together she became perfectly satisfied. It was not merely in fine words or hyperbolic compliment that he paid his duty, Nothing could be more proper or pleasing than his whole manner to her. Nothing could more agreeably denote his wish of considering her as a friend and securing her affection. And there was time enough for Emma to form a reasonable judgment, as their visit included all the rest of the morning. They were all three walking about together for an hour or two, first round the shrubberies of Hartfield and afterwards in Highbury, He was delighted with everything, admired Hartfield sufficiently for Mr. Woodhouse's ear, and when their going further was resolved on, confessed his wish to be made acquainted with the whole village, and found matter of commendation and interest much oftener than Emma could have supposed. Some of the objects of his curiosity spoke very amiable feelings. He begged to be shown the house which his father had lived in so long, and which had been the home of his father's father, and on recollecting that an old woman who had nursed him was still living, walked in quest of her cottage, from one end of the street to the other. And though in some points of pursuit or observation there was no positive merit, they showed altogether a goodwill towards Highbury in general, which must be very like a merit to those he was with. Emma watched, and decided that with such feelings as were now shown, it could not be fairly supposed that he had been ever voluntarily absent in himself, that he had not been acting a part or making a parade of insincere professions, and that Mr. Knightley certainly had not done him justice. Their first pause was at the Crown Inn, an inconsiderable house, though the principal one of the sort, where a couple of pair of post-horses were kept, more for the convenience of the neighborhood than from any run on the road, and his companions had not expected to be detained by any interest excited there, but in passing it they gave the history of the large room visibly added. It had been built many years ago for a ballroom, and while the neighborhood had been in a particularly populous dancing state, had been occasionally used as such, but such brilliant days had long passed away, and now the highest purpose for which it was ever wanted was to accommodate a whist club. "'established among the gentlemen and half-gentlemen of the place. "'He was immediately interested. "'Its character as a ballroom caught him, "'and instead of passing on, he stopped for several minutes "'at the two superior sashed windows which were open "'to look in and contemplate its capabilities "'and lament that its original purpose should have ceased. "'He saw no fault in the room. "'He would acknowledge none which they suggested. "'No, it was long enough, broad enough, handsome enough. "'It would hold the very number for comfort. "'They ought to have balls there at least every fortnight through the winter. "'Why had not Miss Woodhouse revived the former good old days of the room?' she who could do anything in highbury the want of proper families in the place and the conviction that none beyond the place and its immediate environs could be tempted to attend were mentioned but he was not satisfied he could not be persuaded that so many good-looking houses as he saw around him could not furnish numbers enough for such a meeting and even when particulars were given and families described he was still unwilling to admit that the inconvenience of such a mixture would be anything or that there would be the smallest difficulty in everybody's returning into their proper place the next morning he argued like a young man very much bent on dancing and Emma was rather surprised to see the constitution of the Weston prevail so decidedly against the habits of the Churchills. He seemed to have all the life and spirit, cheerful feelings, and social inclinations of his father, and nothing of the pride or reserve of Enscombe. Of pride, indeed, there was, perhaps, scarcely enough. His indifference to a confusion of rank bordered too much on inelegance of mind. He could be no judge, however, of the evil he was holding cheap. It was but an effusion of lively spirits. At last he was persuaded to move on from the front of the crown, and being now almost facing the house where the bases lived, Emma recollected his intended visit the day before, and asked him if he had paid it. "'Yes, oh yes,' he replied, "'I was just going to mention it. A very successful visit. I saw all the three ladies, and felt very much obliged to you for your preparatory hint. If the talking-on had taken me by surprise, it must have been the death of me. As it was, I was only betrayed into paying a most unreasonable visit.' Ten minutes would have been all that was necessary, perhaps all that was proper, and I had told my father I should certainly be at home before him. But there was no getting away, no pause, and to my utter astonishment I found when he, finding me nowhere else, joined me there at last, that I had been actually sitting with them very nearly three-quarters of an hour. The good lady had not given me the possibility of escape before. And how did you think Miss Fairfax looking? Ill, very ill. That is, if a young lady can ever be allowed to look ill. But the expression is hardly admissible. Mrs. Weston, is it? Ladies can never look ill, and seriously, Miss Fairfax is naturally so pale as almost always to give the appearance of ill health a most deplorable want of complexion. Emma would not agree to this, and began a warm defense of Miss Fairfax's complexion. It was certainly never brilliant, but she would not allow it to have a sickly hue in general, and there was a softness and delicacy in her skin which gave peculiar elegance to the character of her face. He listened with all due deference, acknowledged that he had heard many people say the same, but yet he must confess that to him nothing could make amends for the want of the fine glow of health. Where features were indifferent, a fine complexion gave beauty to them all, and where they were good, the effect was—fortunately, he need not attempt to describe what the effect was. Well, said Emma, there is no disputing about taste. At least you admire her except her complexion. He shook his head and laughed. I cannot separate Miss Fairfax and her complexion. Did you see her often at Weymouth? Were you often in the same society? At this moment, they were approaching Fords, and he hastily exclaimed, Ha, this must be the very shop that everybody attends every day of their lives, as my father informs me. He comes to Highbury himself, he says, six days out of the seven, and has always business at Ford's. If it be not inconvenient to you, pray let us go in, that I may prove myself to belong to the place, to be a true citizen of Highbury. I must buy something at Ford's. It will be taking out my freedom. I dare say they sell gloves. Oh yes, gloves and everything. I do admire your patriotism. You will be adored in Highbury. You were very popular before you came, because you were Mr. Weston's son, but lay out half a guinea at Ford's and your popularity will stand upon your own virtues.' They went in, and while the sleek, well-tied parcels of men's beavers and York tan were bringing down and displaying on the counter, he said, "'But I beg your pardon, Miss Woodhouse. You were speaking to me. You were saying something at the very moment of this burst of my amour patrie. Do not let me lose it. I assure you the utmost stretch of public fame would not make me amends for the loss of any happiness in private life. I merely asked whether you had known much of Miss Fairfax and her party at Weymouth, and now that I understand your question, I must pronounce it to be a very unfair one.' It is always the lady's right to decide on the degree of acquaintance miss fairfax must already have given her account i shall not commit myself by claiming more than she may choose to allow upon my word you answer as discreetly as she could do herself but her account of everything leaves so much to be guessed she is so very reserved so very unwilling to give the least information about anybody that i really think you may say what you like of your acquaintance with her may i indeed then i will speak the truth and nothing suits me so well I met her frequently at Weymouth. I had known the Campbells a little in town, and at Weymouth we were very much in the same set. Colonel Campbell is a very agreeable man, and Mrs. Campbell a friendly, warm-hearted woman. I like them all. You know Miss Fairfax's situation in life, I conclude, what she is destined to be. Yes, rather hesitatingly, I believe I do. You get upon delicate subjects, Emma, said Mrs. Weston, smiling. Remember that I am here. Mr. Frank Churchill hardly knows what to say when you speak of Miss Fairfax's situation in life. I will move a little further off i certainly do forget to think of her said emma as having ever been anything but my friend and my dearest friend he looked as if he fully understood and honored such a sentiment when the gloves were bought and they had quitted the shop again did you ever hear the young lady we were speaking of play said frank Churchill. ever hear her repeated emma you forget how much she belongs to highbury i have heard her every year of our lives since we both began she plays charmingly you think so do you i wanted the opinion of someone who could really judge She appeared to me to play well, that is, with considerable taste, but I know nothing of the matter myself. I am excessively fond of music, but without the smallest skill or right of judging of anybody's performance. I have been used to hear hers admired, and I remember one proof of her being thought to play well. A man, a very musical man, and in love with another woman, engaged to her, on the point of marriage. Would yet never ask that other woman to sit down to the instrument, if the lady in question could sit down instead. Never seemed to like to hear one, if he could hear the other. That, I thought, in a man of known musical talent, was some proof. Proof indeed," said Emma, highly amused. "'Mr. Dixon is very musical, isn't he? "'We shall know more about them all in half an hour from you "'than Miss Fairfax would have vouchsafed in half a year. "'Yes, Mr. Dixon and Miss Campbell were the persons, "'and I thought it a very strong proof. "'Certainly very strong it was, to own the truth, "'a great deal stronger than, if I had been Miss Campbell, "'would have been at all agreeable to me. "'I could not excuse a man's having more music than love, "'more ear than eye, a more acute sensibility to fine sounds "'than to my feelings, had Miss Campbell appear to like it.' It was her very particular friend you know poor comfort said emma laughing one would rather have a stranger preferred than one's very particular friend with a stranger it might not recur again but the misery of having a very particular friend always at hand to do everything better than one does oneself poor mrs dixon well i am glad she is going to settle in ireland you were right it was not very flattering to miss campbell but she really did not seem to feel it so much the better or so much the worse i do not know which but be it sweetness or be it stupidity in her, quickness of friendship or dullness of feeling, there was one person, I think, who must have felt it, Miss Fairfax herself. She must have felt the improper and dangerous distinction. As to that, I, I do not—oh, do not imagine that I expect an account of Miss Fairfax's sensations from you or from anybody else. They are known to know human beings, I guess, but herself. But if she continued to play whenever she was asked by Mr. Dixon, one may guess what one chooses. There appeared such a perfectly good understanding among them all— He began rather quickly, but checking himself, added, However, it is impossible for me to say, on what terms they really were, how it might all be behind the scenes. I can only say that there is a smoothness outwardly. But you, who have known Miss Fairfax from a child, must be a better judge of her character, and of how she is likely to conduct herself in critical situations than I can be. I have known her from a child, undoubtedly. We have been children and women together, and it is natural to suppose that we should be intimate, that we should have taken to each other whenever she visited her friends. But we never did. I hardly know how it has happened. "'A little, perhaps, from that wickedness on my side, "'which was prone to take disgust towards a girl so idolized "'and so cried up as she always was by her aunt and grandmother "'and all their set, and then her reserve. "'I never could attach myself to anyone so completely reserved. "'It is a most repulsive quality indeed,' said he. Oftentimes very convenient, no doubt, but never pleasing. "'There is safety in reserve, but no attraction. "'One cannot love a reserved person.' not till the reserve ceases towards oneself but i must be more in want of a friend or an agreeable companion than i have yet been to take the trouble of conquering anybody's reserve to procure one intimacy between miss fairfax and me is quite out of the question i have no reason to think ill of her not the least except that such extreme and perpetual cautiousness of word and manner such a dread of giving a distinct idea about anybody is apt to suggest suspicions of there being something to conceal He perfectly agreed with her, and after walking together so long and thinking so much alike, Emma felt herself so well acquainted with him that she could hardly believe it to be only their second meeting. He was not exactly what she had expected, less of a man of the world in some of his notions, less of the spoiled child of fortune, therefore better than she had expected. His ideas seemed more moderate, his feelings warmer. She was particularly struck by his manner of considering Mr. Elton's house, which, as well as the church, he would go and look at, and would not join them in finding much fault with it. No, he could not believe it a bad house. Not such a house as a man was to be pitied for having. If it were to be shared with the woman he loved, he could not thank any man to be pitied for having that house. There must be ample room in it for every real comfort. The man must be a blockhead who wanted more. Mrs. Weston laughed, and said he did not know what he was talking about. Used only to a large house himself, and without ever thinking how many advantages and accommodations were attached to its size, he could be no judge of the privations inevitably belonging to a smaller one. But Emma, in her own mind, determined that he did know what he was talking about, and that he showed a very amiable inclination to settle early in life and to marry from worthy motives. And then the attraction may be the greater. He might not be aware of the inroads on domestic peace to be occasioned by no housekeeper's room or a bad butler's pantry, but no doubt he did perfectly feel that Enscombe could not make him happy, and that whenever he were attached he would willingly give up much of wealth to be allowed an early establishment. Chapter 25 Emma's very good opinion of Frank Churchill was a little shaken the following day by hearing that he was gone off to London merely to have his hair cut. A sudden freak seemed to have seized him at breakfast, and he had sent for a chase and set off, intending to return to dinner, but with no more important view that appeared than having his hair cut. There was certainly no harm in his traveling sixteen miles twice over on such an errand, but there was an air of foppery and nonsense in it which she could not approve. It did not accord with the rationality of the plan, the moderation and expense, or even the unselfish warmth of heart which she had believed herself to discern in him yesterday. Vanity, extravagance, love of change, restlessness of temper, which must be doing something, good or bad— Heedlessness as to the pleasure of his father and Mrs. Weston, indifferent as to how this conduct might appear in general, he became liable to all these charges. His father only called him a coxcomb, and thought it a very good story, but but that Mrs. Weston did not like it was clear enough. By her passing it over as quickly as possible, and making no other comment than that all young people would have their little whims. With the exception of this little blot, Emma found that his visit hitherto had given her friend only good ideas of him. Mrs. Weston was very ready to say how attentive and pleasant a companion he made himself, how much she saw to like in his disposition altogether. He appeared to have a very open temper, certainly a very cheerful and lively one. She could observe nothing wrong in his notions, a great deal decidedly right. He spoke of his uncle with warm regard, was fond of talking of him, said he would be the best man in the world if he were left to himself, and though there was no great attachment to the aunt, he acknowledged her kindness with gratitude and seemed to mean always to speak of her with respect." This was all very promising and but for such an unfortunate fancy for having his hair cut there was nothing to denote him unworthy of the distinguished honor which her imagination had given him the honor if not of being really in love with her of being at least very near it and saved only by her own indifference for still her resolution held of never marrying the honor in short of being marked out for her by all their joint acquaintances mr weston on his side added a virtue to the account which must have some weight He gave her to understand that frank admired her extremely thought her very beautiful and very charming and with so much to be said for him altogether she found she must not judge him harshly as mrs weston observed all young people would have their little whims there was one person among his new acquaintances in surrey not so leniently disposed in general he was judged throughout the parishes of donwell and highbury with great candor liberal allowances were made for the little excesses of such a handsome young man one who smiled so often and bowed so well but there was one spirit among them not to be softened from its power of censure by boys or smiles, Mr. Knightley. The circumstance was told him at Hartfield for the moment he was silent, but Emma heard him almost immediately afterwards say to himself over a newspaper he held in his hand, "Hm, just the trifling silly fellow I took him for. She had half a mind to resent, but an instant's observation convinced her that it was really said only to relieve his own feelings and not meant to provoke, and therefore she let it pass. Although in one instance the bearers of not-good tidings, Mr. and Mr. Weston's visit this morning was in another respect particularly opportune. Something occurred while they were at Hartfield to make Emma want their advice, and which was still more lucky. She wanted exactly the advice they gave. This was the occurrence. The Coles had been settled some years in Highbury and were very good sort of people, friendly, liberal, and unpretending, but on the other hand, they were of low origin, in trade, and only moderately genteel. On their first coming into the country, they had lived in proportion to their income, quietly, keeping little company, and that little unexpensively. But the last year or two had brought them a considerable increase in means. The house in town had yielded greater profits, and fortune in general had smiled on them. With their wealth, their views increased. Their want of a larger house, their inclination for more company. They added to their house, to their number of servants, to their expenses of every sort, and by this time were, in fortune and style of living, second only to the family at Hartfield. Their love of society, and their new dining room, prepared everybody for their keeping, dinner company, and a few parties, chiefly among the single men, had already taken place. The regular and best families Emma could hardly suppose they would presume to invite, neither Donwell nor Hartfield nor Randalls. Nothing should tempt her to go. If they did, and she regretted that her father's known habits would be giving her refusal less meaning than she could wish. The Coles were very respectable in their way, but they ought to be taught that it was not for them to arrange the terms on which the superior families would visit them this lesson she had very much feared they would receive only from herself. She had little hope of Mr. Knightley, none of Mr. Weston. But she had made up her mind how to meet this presumption so many weeks before it appeared, that when the insult came at last it found her very differently affected. Donwell and Randalls had received their invitation, and none had come for her father and herself, and Mrs. Weston's accounting for it with, "'I suppose they will not take the liberty with you. They know you do not dine out.' was not quite sufficient." She felt that she should like to have had the power of refusal, and afterwards, as the idea of the party to be assembled there, consisting precisely of those whose society was dearest to her, occurred again and again, she did not know that she might not have been tempted to accept. Harriet was to be there in the evening, and the Bateses. They had been speaking of it as they walked about Highbury the day before, and Frank Churchill had most earnestly lamented her absence. Might not the evening end in a dance? Had been a question of his. The bare possibility of it acted as a further irritation on her spirits, and her being left in solitary grandeur even supposing the omission to be intended as a compliment, was but poor comfort. It was the arrival of this very invitation, while the Westons were at Hartfield, which made their presence so acceptable, for though her first remark on reading it was that, of course it must be declined, she so very soon proceeded to ask them what they advised her to do, that their advice for her going was most prompt and successful. She owned that, considering everything, she was not absolutely without inclination for the party. The Coles expressed themselves so properly. There was so much real attention in the manner of it, so much consideration for her father. They would have solicited the honour earlier, but had been waiting the arrival of a folding screen from London, which they hoped might keep Mr. Woodhouse from any draught of air, and therefore induced him the more readily to give them the honour of his company. Upon the whole, she was very persuadable, and it being briefly settled among themselves how it might be done without neglecting his comfort, how certainly Mrs. Goddard, if not Mrs. Bates, might be depended on for bearing him company, Mr. Woodhouse was to be talked into an acquiescence of his daughters going out to dinner on a day now near at hand, and spending the whole evening away from him. As for his going, Emma did not wish him to think it possible, the hours would be too late and the party too numerous he was soon pretty well resigned i am not fond of dinner visiting said he i never was no more is emma late hours do not agree with us i am sorry mr and mrs cole should have done it i think it would be much better if they would come in one afternoon next summer and take their tea with us take us in their afternoon walk which they might do as our hours are so reasonable and yet get home without being out in the damp of the evening the dews of a summer evening are what i would not expose anybody to However, as they are so very desirous to have dear Emma dine with them, and as you will both be there, and Mr. Knightley too, to take care of her, I cannot wish to prevent it, provided the weather be what it ought, neither damp nor cold nor windy. Then turned to Mrs. Weston, with a look of gentle reproach, ah, Miss Taylor, if you had not married, you would have stayed at home with me. Well, sir, cried Mr. Weston, as I took Miss Taylor away, it is incumbent on me to supply her place if I can, and I will step to Mrs. Goddard in a moment if you wish it. But the idea of anything to be done in a moment was increasing, not lessening Mr. Woodhouse's agitation. The ladies knew better how to allay it. Mr. Weston must be quiet, and everything deliberately arranged. With this treatment, Mr. Woodhouse was soon composed enough for talking as usual. He should be happy to see Mrs. Goddard. He had a great regard for Mrs. Goddard, and Emma should write a line and invite her. James could take the note. But first of all, there must be an answer written to Mrs. Cole. You will make my excuses my dear as civilly as possible you will say that i am quite an invalid and go nowhere and therefore must decline their obliging invitation beginning with my compliments of course but you will do everything right i need not tell you what is to be done we must remember to let james know that the carriage will be wanted on tuesday i shall have no fears for you with him we have never been there above once since the new approach was made but still i have no doubt that james will take you very safely and when you get there you must tell him at which time you would have him come for you again and you had better name an early hour you will not like staying late "'You will get very tired when tea is over.' "'But you would not wish me to come away before I am tired, papa.' "'Oh no, my love, but you will soon be tired. "'There will be a great many people talking at once. "'You will not like the noise.' "'But my dear sir,' cried Mr. Weston, "'if Emma comes away early, it will be breaking up the party.' "'And no great harm if it does,' said Mr. Woodhouse. "'The sooner every party breaks up, the better. "'But you do not consider how it may appear to the coals. "'Emma's going away directly after tea might be giving offence. "'They are good-natured people, and think little of their own claims. "'But still, they must feel that anybody's hurrying away is no great compliment, "'and Miss Woodhouse's doing it would be more thought of than any other persons in the room. "'You would not wish to disappoint and mortify the Coles, I am sure, sir. "'Friendly, good sort of people as ever lived, and who have been your neighbours for ten years. "'No, upon no account in the world, Mr. Weston, I am much obliged to you for reminding me. "'I should be extremely sorry to be giving them any pain. "'I know what worthy people they are. "'Perry tells me that Mr. Cole never touches malt liquor.' You would not think it to look at him but he is bilious mr cole is very bilious no i would not be the means of giving them any pain my dear emma we must consider this i am sure rather than run the risk of hurting mr and mrs cole you would stay a little longer than you might wish you will not regard being tired you will be perfectly safe you know among your friends oh yes papa i have no fears at all for myself and i should have no scruples of staying as late as mrs weston but on your account i am only afraid of your sitting up for me i am not afraid of your not being exceedingly comfortable with mrs goddard she loves Piquette, you know, but when she has gone home, I am afraid you will be sitting up by yourself instead of going to bed at your usual time, and the idea of that would entirely destroy my comfort. You must promise me not to sit up. He did on the condition of some promises on her side, such as that, if she came home cold, she would be sure to warm herself thoroughly, if hungry, that she would take something to eat, that her own maid should sit up for her, and that Cyril and the butler should see that everything were safe in the house as usual. Chapter 26 Frank Churchill came back again, and if he had kept his father's dinner waiting, it was not known at Hartfield, for Mrs. Weston was too anxious for his being a favourite with Mr. Woodhouse to betray any imperfection which could be concealed. He came back, had had his hair cut, and laughed at himself with a very good grace, but without seeming really at all ashamed of what he had done. He had no reason to wish his hair longer, to conceal any confusion of face, no reason to wish the money unspent to improve his spirits. He was quite as undaunted and as lively as ever, and, after seeing him, Emma thus moralised to herself... I do not know whether it ought to be so, but certainly silly things do cease to be silly if they are done by sensible people in an impudent way. Wickedness is always wickedness, but folly is not always folly. It depends upon the character of those who handle it. Mr. Knightley, he is not a trifling, silly young man. If he were there, he would have done this differently. He would either have gloried in the achievement or been ashamed of it. There would have been either the ostentation of a coxcomb or the evasions of a mind too weak to defend its own vanities. No, I am perfectly sure that he is not trifling or silly. With Tuesday came the agreeable prospect of seeing him again, and for a longer time than hitherto, of judging of his general manners, and by inference of the meaning of his manners towards herself, of guessing how soon it might be necessary for her to throw coldness into her air, and of fancying what the observations of all those might be who were now seeing them together for the first time. She meant to be very happy, in spite of the scene being laid at Mr. Cole's, and without being able to forget that, among the failings of Mr. Elton, Even in the days of his favor, none had disturbed her more than his propensity to dine with Mr. Cole. Her father's comfort was amply secured, Mrs. Bates as well as Mrs. Goddard being able to come, and her last pleasing duty before she left the house was to pay her respects to them as they sat together after dinner, and while her father was fondly noticing the beauty of her dress, to make the two ladies all the amends in her power by helping them to large slices of cake and full glasses of wine, for whatever unwilling self-denial his care of their constitutions might have obliged them to practice during the meal, She had provided a plentiful dinner for them. She wished she could know that they had been allowed to eat it. She followed another carriage to Mr. Cole's door and was pleased to see that it was Mr. Knightley's. For Mr. Knightley, keeping no horses, having little spare money, and a great deal of health, activity, and independence, was too apt, in Emma's opinion, to get about as he could and not use his carriage so often as became the owner of Donwell Abbey. She had an opportunity now of speaking her approbation while warm from her heart, for he stopped to hand her out. This is coming as you should do, said she, like a gentleman. I am quite glad to see you. He thanked her, observing, how lucky that we should arrive at the same moment, for, if we had met first in the drawing-room, I doubt whether you would have discerned me to be more of a gentleman than usual. You might not have distinguished how I came by my look or manner. Yes, I should. I am sure I should. There is always a look of consciousness or bustle when people come in a way which they know to be beneath them. You think you carried off very well, I dare say, but with you it is a sort of bravado, an air of affected unconcern. I always observe it whenever I meet you under those circumstances. Now you have nothing to try for. You are not afraid of being supposed ashamed. "'you are not striving to look taller than anybody else. "'Now I shall really be very happy "'to walk into the same room with you.' "'Nonsensical girl,' was his reply, "'but not at all in anger. "'Emma had as much reason to be satisfied "'with the rest of the party as with Mr. Knightley. "'She was received with a cordial respect "'which could not but please, "'and given all the consequence she could wish for. "'When the Westons arrived, the kindest looks of love, "'the strongest of admiration, were for her, "'from both husband and wife. "'The son approached her with a cheerful eagerness, "'which marked her as his peculiar object, "'and at dinner she found him seated by her, and, as she firmly believed, not without some dexterity on his side. The party was rather large, as it included one other family, a proper, unobjectionable country family, whom the Coles had the advantage of naming among their acquaintances, and the male part of Mr. Cox's family, the lawyer of Highbury. The less worthy females were to come in the evening, with Miss Bates, Miss Fairfax, and Miss Smith, but already at dinner, they were too numerous for any subject of conversation to be general, and, while politics and Mr. Elton were talked over, Emma could fairly surrender all her attention to the pleasantness of her neighbor. The first remote sound to which she felt herself obliged to attend was the name of Jane Fairfax. Mrs. Cole seemed to be relating something of her that was expected to be very interesting. She listened and found it well worth listening to. That very dear part of Emma, her fancy, received an amusing supply. Mrs. Cole was telling that she had been calling on Miss Bates, and as soon as she entered the room had been struck by the sight of a pianoforte, a very elegant-looking instrument, not a grand but a large-sized square pianoforte, and the substance of the story— The end of all the dialogue, which ensued of surprise and inquiry and congratulations on her side, and explanations on Miss Bates's, was that this pianoforte had arrived from Broadwood's the day before, to the great astonishment of both aunt and niece, entirely unexpected, that, at first, by Miss Bates' account, Jane herself was quite at a loss, quite bewildered to think who could possibly have ordered it, but now they were both perfectly satisfied that it could be from only one quarter. Of course it must be from Colonel Campbell. One can suppose nothing else, added Mrs. Cole and I was only surprised that there could ever have been a doubt. But Jane, it seems, had a letter from them very lately, and not a word was said about it. She knows their ways best, but I should not consider their silence as any reason for their not meaning to make the present. They might choose to surprise her. Mrs. Cole had many to agree with her. Everybody who spoke on the subject was equally convinced that it must come from Colonel Campbell, and equally rejoiced that such a present had been made, and there were enough ready to speak to allow Emma to think her own way and still listen to Mrs. Cole. I declare, I do not know what I have heard, anything that has given me more satisfaction. It always has quite hurt me that Jane Fairfax, who plays so delightfully, should not have an instrument. It seemed quite a shame, especially considering how many houses there are where fine instruments are absolutely thrown away. This is like giving ourselves a slap, to be sure, and it was but yesterday I was telling Mr. Cole I really was ashamed to look at our new grand pianoforte in the drawing room, while I do not know one note from another, and our little girls but just beginning, perhaps may never make anything of it, and there is poor Jane Fairfax, who is mistress of music, has not anything in the nature of an instrument, not even the pitifulest old spinet in the world, to amuse herself with. I was saying this to Mr. Cole but yesterday, and he quite agreed with me, only he is so particularly fond of music that he could not help indulging himself in the purchase, hoping that some of our good neighbours might be so obliging occasionally to put it to a better use than we can. And that really is the reason why the instrument was bought, for else I am sure we ought to be ashamed of it. "'We are in great hopes that Miss Woodhouse may be prevailed with to try it this evening.' Miss Woodhouse made the proper acquiescence, and finding that nothing more was to be entrapped from any communication of Mrs. Cole's, turned to Frank Churchill. "'Why do you smile?' said she. "'Nay, why do you? Me? I suppose I smile for pleasure at Colonel Campbell's being so rich and so liberal. It is a handsome present.' "'Very. I rather wonder that it was never made before. Perhaps Miss Fairfax has never been staying here so long before.' or that he did not give her the use of their own instrument, which must now be shut up in London, untouched by anybody. That is a grand pianoforte, and he might think it too large for Mrs. Bates's house. You may say what you choose, but your countenance testifies that your thoughts on this subject are very much like mine. I do not know. I rather believe you are giving me more credit for acuteness than I deserve. I smile because you smile, and shall probably suspect whatever I find you suspect, but at present I do not see what there is to question. If Colonel Campbell is not the person, who can it be? What do you say to Mrs. Dixon?' Mrs. Dixon, very true indeed. I had not thought of Mrs. Dixon. She must know, as well as her father, how acceptable an instrument would be, and perhaps the motive of it, the mystery, the surprise, is more like a young woman's scheme than an elderly man's. It is Mrs. Dixon, I dare say. I told you that your suspicions would guide mine. If so, you must extend your suspicions and comprehend Mr. Dixon in them. Mr. Dixon. Very well, yes. I immediately perceive that it must be the joint present of Mr. and Mrs. Dixon. We were speaking the other day, you know, of his being so warm an admirer of her performance. Yes, and what you told me on that head confirmed an idea which I had entertained before. I do not mean to reflect upon the good intentions of either Mr. Dixon or Miss Fairfax, but I cannot help suspecting either that, after making his proposals to her friend, he had the misfortune to fall in love with her, or that he became conscious of a little attachment on her side. One might guess twenty things without guessing exactly the right, but I am sure there might be a particular cause for her choosing to come to Highbury instead of going with the Campbells to Ireland. Here she must be leading a life of, of privation and penance. There it would have been all enjoyment. As to the pretense of trying her native air, I look upon that as a mere excuse. In the summer it might have passed, but what can anybody's native air do for them in the months of January, February, and March? Good fires and carriages would be much more to the purpose in most cases of delicate health, and I dare say it in hers. I do not require you to adopt all my suspicions, though you make so noble a profession of doing it, but I honestly tell you what they are. "'And upon my word, they have an air of great probability. "'Mr. Dixon's preference of her music to her friends "'I can answer for being very decided. "'And then he saved her life. "'Did you ever hear of that? "'A water party, and by some accident "'she was falling overboard. "'He caught her. "'He did. "'I was there, one of the party. "'Were you really? "'Well, but you observed nothing, of course, "'for it seems to be a new idea to you. "'If I had been there, "'I think I should have made some discoveries. "'I dare say you would.' But I, simple I, saw nothing but the facts that Miss Fairfax was nearly dashed from the vessel and that Mr. Dixon caught her. It was the work of a moment, and though the consequent shock and alarm was very great, and much more durable, indeed, I believe it was half an hour before any of us were comfortable again, yet that was too general a sensation for anything of peculiar anxiety to be observable. I do not mean to say, however, that you might not have made discoveries. The conversation was here interrupted. They were called on to share in the awkwardness of a rather long interval between the courses, and obliged to be as formal and as orderly as the others when the table was again safely covered, when every corner dish was placed exactly right, and occupation and ease were generally restored, Emma said, the arrival of this pianoforte is decisive with me. I wanted to know a little more, and this tells me quite enough. Depend upon it, we shall soon hear that it is a present from Mr. and Mrs. Dixon. And if the Dixons should absolutely deny all knowledge of it, we must conclude it to come from the Campbells. No, I am sure it is not from the Campbells. "'Miss Fairfax knows it is not from the Campbells, or they would have been guessed at first. "'She would not have been puzzled had she dared fix on them. "'I may not have convinced you, perhaps, "'but I am perfectly convinced myself that Mr. Dixon is a principal in the business. "'Indeed, you injure me if you suppose me unconvinced. "'Your reasonings carry my judgment along with them entirely. "'At first, while I supposed you satisfied that Colonel Campbell was the giver, "'I saw it only as paternal kindness, and thought it the most natural thing in the world. "'But when you mentioned Mrs. Dixon, "'I felt how much more probable that it should be the tribute of a warm female friendship.' and now I can see it in no other light than as an offering of love. There was no occasion to press the matter further. The conviction seemed real. He looked as if he felt it. She said no more. Other subjects took their turn, and the rest of the dinner passed away. The dessert succeeded. The children came in and were talked to and admired amid the usual rate of conversation. A few clever things said, a few downright silly, but by much the larger proportion, neither the one nor the other, nothing worse than everyday remarks, dull repetitions, old news, and heavy jokes. The ladies had not been long in the drawing-room, before the other ladies and their different divisions arrived. Emma watched the entree of her own particular little friend, and if she could not exult in her dignity and grace, she could not only love the blooming sweetness and the artful manner, but could most heartily rejoice in that light, cheerful, unsentimental disposition which allowed her so many alleviations of pleasure in the midst of the pangs of disappointed affection. There she sat, and who would have guessed how many tears she had been lately shedding? To be in company, nicely dressed herself, and seeing others nicely dressed, to sit and smile and look pretty and say nothing, was enough for the happiness of the present hour jane fairfax did look and move superior but emma suspected she might have been glad to change feelings with harriet very glad to have purchased the mortification of having loved yes of having loved even mr elton in vain by the surrender of all of the dangerous pleasure of knowing herself beloved by the husband of her friend in so large a party it was not necessary that emma should approach her she did not wish to speak of the pianoforte, she felt too much in the secret herself to think the appearance of curiosity or interest fair and therefore purposely kept at a distance But by the others, the subject was almost immediately introduced, and she saw the blush of consciousness with which congratulations were received, the blush of guilt which accompanied the name of my excellent friend, Colonel Campbell. Mrs. Weston, kind-hearted and musical, was particularly interested by the circumstance, and Emma could not help being amused at her perseverance in dwelling on the subject, and having so much to ask and to say as to tone, touch, and pedal, totally unsuspicious of that wish of saying as little about it as possible, which she plainly read in the fair heroine's countenance. They were soon joined by some of the gentlemen, and the very first of the early was Frank Churchill. In he walked the first and handsomest, and after paying his compliments en passant to Miss Bates and her niece, made his way directly to the opposite side of the circle where sat Miss Woodhouse, until he could find a seat by her, would not sit at all. Emma divined what everybody present must be thinking. She was his object, and everybody must perceive it. She introduced him to her friend Miss Smith, and, at convenient moments afterwards, heard what each thought of the other. He had never seen so lovely a face, and was delighted by her naivete and she, only to be sure it was paying him too great a compliment, but she did think there were some looks a little like Mr. Elton. Emma restrained her indignation and only turned from her in silence. Smiles of intelligence passed between her and the gentleman on first glancing towards Miss Fairfax, but it was most prudent to avoid speech. He told her that he had been impatient to leave the dining room, hated sitting long, was always the first to move when he could, that his father, Mr. Knightley, Mr. Cox, and Mr. Cole were left very busy over parish business, that as long as he had stayed however it had been pleasant enough as he had found them in general a sort of gentleman-like sensible men and spoke so handsomely of highbury altogether thought it so abundant and agreeable families that emma began to feel she had been used to despise the place rather too much she questioned him as to the society in yorkshire the extent of the neighborhood about Inscombe, and the sort and could make out from answers that as far as Inscombe was concerned there was very little going on That their visitings were among a range of great families none very near and that even when days were fixed and invitations accepted there was an even chance that mrs churchill were not in health and spirits for going that they made a point of visiting no fresh person and that though he had his separate engagements it was not without difficulty without considerable address at times that he could get away or introduce an acquaintance for a night she saw that Enscombe could not satisfy and that Highbury, taken at its best might reasonably please a young man who had more retirement at home than he liked his importance at enscombe was very evident he did not boast but it naturally betrayed itself that he had persuaded his aunt where his uncle could do nothing and on her laughing and noticing it, he owned that he believed, excepting one or two points, he could, with time, persuade her to anything. One of those points on which his influence failed, he then mentioned. He had wanted very much to go abroad, had been very eager indeed to be allowed to travel, but she would not hear of it. This had happened the year before. Now, he said, he was beginning to have no longer the same wish. The unpersuadable point, which he did not mention, Emma guessed to be good behavior to his father. I have made a most wretched discovery, said he, after a short pause. I have been here a week tomorrow, half my time. I never knew days fly so fast, a week tomorrow, and I have hardly begun to enjoy myself, but just got acquainted with Mrs. Weston and others. I hate the recollection. Perhaps you may now begin to regret that you spent one whole day, out of so few, in having your hair cut. No, said he smiling, that is no subject of regret at all. I have no pleasure in seeing my friends, unless I can believe myself fit to be seen. The rest of the gentlemen being now in the room, Emma found herself obliged to turn from him for a few minutes, and listen to Mr. Cole. When Mr. Cole had moved away, and her attention could be restored as before, she saw Frank Churchill looking intently across the room at Miss Fairfax, who was sitting exactly opposite. "'What is the matter?' said she. He started. "'Thank you for rousing me,' he replied. "'I believe I have been very rude. But really, Miss Fairfax has done her hair in so odd a way—so very odd a way—that I cannot keep my eyes from her. I never saw anything so outre. Those curls! This must be a fancy of her own. I see nobody else looking like her.' I must go and ask her whether it is an Irish fashion, shall I? Yes, I will. I declare I will, and you shall see how she takes it, whether she colors. He was gone immediately, and Emma soon saw him standing before Miss Fairfax and talking to her, but as to its effect on the young lady, as he had improvidently placed himself exactly between them, exactly in front of Miss Fairfax, she could absolutely distinguish nothing. Before he could return to his chair, it was taken by Mrs. Weston. This is the luxury of a large party, said she. One can get near everybody and say everything. My dear Emma, I am longing to talk to you. I've been making discoveries and forming plans just like yourself and i must tell them while the idea is fresh do you know how miss bates and her niece came here how they were invited were not they oh yes but how they were conveyed hither the manner of their coming they walked i conclude how else could they come very true well a little while ago it occurred to me how very sad it would be to have jane fairfax walking home again late at night and cold as the nights are now and as i looked at her though i never saw her appear to more advantage it struck me that she was heated "'and would therefore be particularly liable to take cold. "'Poor girl, I could not bear the idea of it. "'So as soon as Mr. Weston came into the room "'and I could get at him, I spoke to him about the carriage. "'You may guess how readily he came into my wishes, "'and having his approbation, I made my way directly to Miss Bates "'to assure her that the carriage would be at her service "'before it took us home, "'for I thought it would be making her comfortable at once. "'Good soul, she was as grateful as possible, you may be sure. "'Nobody was ever so fortunate as herself. "'But with many, many thanks, there was no occasion to trouble us, "'for Mr. Knightley's carriage had brought, "'and was to take them home again.' I was quite surprised, very glad, I am sure, but really quite surprised. Such a very kind attention, and so thoughtful an attention, the sort of thing that so few men would think of. And, in short, from knowing his usual ways, I am very much inclined to think that it was for their accommodation the carriage was used at all. I do suspect he would not have had a pair of horses for himself, and that it was only as an excuse for assisting them. Very likely, said Emma, nothing more likely. I know no man more likely than Mr. Knightley to do the sort of thing, to do anything really good-natured, useful, considerate, or benevolent. He is not a gallant man, but he is a very humane one, and this, considering Jane Fairfax's ill health, would appear a case of humanity to him. And for an act of unostentatious kindness, there is nobody whom I would fix on more than on Mr. Knightley. I know he had horses today, for we arrived together, and I laughed at him about it, but he said not a word that could betray. Well, said Mrs. Weston, smiling, you give him credit for more simple, disinterested benevolence in this instance than I do. For while Miss Bates was speaking, a suspicion darted into my head, and I have never been able to get it out again. The more I think of it, the more probable it appears— "'In short, I have made a match between Mr. Knightley and Jane Fairfax. "'See the consequence of keeping you company? "'What do you say to it?' "'Mr. Knightley and Jane Fairfax!' exclaimed Emma. "'Dear Mrs. Weston, how could you think of such a thing?' "'Mr. Knightley, Mr. Knightley must not marry. "'You would not have little Henry cut out from Donwell.' "'Oh, no, no, Henry must have Donwell. "'I cannot at all consent to Mr. Knightley's marrying.' I am sure it is not at all likely i am amazed that you should think of such a thing my dear emma i have told you what led me to think of it i do not want the match i do not want to injure dear little henry but the idea has been given me by circumstances and if mr knightley really wished to marry you would not have him refrain on henry's account a boy of six years old who knows nothing of the matter yes i would i could not bear to have henry supplanted mr knightley marry no i have never had such an idea and i cannot adopt it now and jane fairfax too of all women Nay, she has always been a first favorite with him, as you very well know. But the imprudence of such a match. I am not speaking of its prudence, merely its probability. I see no probability in it, unless you have any better foundation than what you mention. His good nature, his humanity, as I tell you, would be quite enough to account for the horses. He has a great regard for the Bates, as you know, independent of Jane Fairfax, and is always glad to show them attention. My dear Mrs. Weston, do not take to matchmaking. You do it very ill. Jane Fairfax, mistress of the Abbey, oh no, no, every feeling revolts for his own sake i would not have had him do so mad a thing imprudent if you please but not mad exceptional inequality of fortune and perhaps a little disparity of age i can see nothing unsuitable but mr knightley does not want to marry i am sure he has not the least idea of it do not put it into his head why should he marry he is as happy as possible by himself with his farm and his sheep and his library and all the parish to manage and he is extremely fond of his brother's children He has no occasion to marry, either, to fill up his time or his heart. My dear Emma, as long as he thinks so, it is so. But if he really loves Jane Fairfax, nonsense, he does not care about Jane Fairfax. In the way of love, I am sure he does not. He would do any good to her or her family, but, well, said Mrs. Weston, laughing, perhaps the greatest good he could do them would be to give Jane such a respectable home. If it would be good to her, I am sure it would be evil to himself, a very shameful and degrading connection. How would he bear to have Miss Bates belonging to him? to have her haunting the abbey and thanking him all day long for his great kindness in marrying Jane, so very kind and obliging, but he always had been such a very kind neighbor, and then fly off through half a sentence to her mother's old petticoat, not that it was such a very old petticoat either, for still it would last a great while, and indeed she must thankfully say that their petticoats were all very strong. For shame, Emma, do not mimic her. You divert me against my conscience, and upon my word I do not think Mr. Knightley would be much disturbed by Miss Bates. Little things do not irritate him. She might talk on, and if he wanted to say anything himself, he would only talk louder, and drown her voice. But the question is not whether it would be a bad connection for him, but whether he wishes it. And I think he does. I have heard him speak, and so must you, so very highly of Jane Fairfax. The interest he takes in her, his anxiety about her health, his concern that she should have no happier prospect. I have heard him express himself so warmly on those points. Such an admirer of her performance on the pianoforte and of her voice. I have heard him say that he could listen to her forever. Oh, and I had almost forgotten one idea that occurred to me. This piano forte that has been sent here by somebody, though we have all been so well satisfied to consider it a present from the Campbells, may it not be from Mr. Knightley. I cannot help suspecting him. I think he is just the person to do it, even without being in love. Then it can be no argument to prove that he is in love, but I do not think it is at all a likely thing for him to do. Mr. Knightley does nothing mysteriously. I have heard him lamenting her having no instrument repeatedly, oftener than I should suppose such a circumstance would, in the common course of things, occur to him. Very well, and if he had intended to give her one, he would have told her so. There might be scruples of delicacy, my dear Emma. I have a very strong notion that it comes from him. I am sure he was particularly silent when Mrs. Cole told us of it at dinner. You take up an idea, Mrs. Weston, and run away with it. As you have many a time reproached me with doing, I see no sign of attachment. I believe nothing of the pianoforte, and proof only shall convince me that Mr. Knightley has any thought of marrying Jane Fairfax. They combated the point sometime longer in the same way, Emma rather gaining ground over the mind of her friend... For mrs weston was the most used of the two to yield till a little vessel in the room showed them that tea was over and the instrument in preparation and at the same moment mr cole approached to entreat miss woodhouse would do them the honor of trying it frank churchill of whom in the eagerness of her conversation with mrs weston she had been seeing nothing except that he had found a seat by miss fairfax followed mr cole to add his very pressing entreaties and as in every respect it suited emma best to lead she gave a very proper compliance she knew the limitations of her own powers too well to attempt more than she could perform with credit she wanted neither taste nor spirit in the little things which were generally acceptable and could accompany her own voice well. One accompaniment to her song took her agreeably by surprise, a second slightly but correctly taken by Frank Churchill. Her pardon was duly begged at the close of the song, and everything usual followed. He was accused of having a delightful voice and a perfect knowledge of music, which was properly denied, and that he knew nothing of the matter and had no voice at all, roundly asserted. They sang together once more, and Emma would then resign her place to Miss Fairfax, whose performance, both vocal and instrumental, she never could attempt to conceal from herself, was infinitely superior to her own. With mixed feelings, she seated herself at a little distance from the numbers round the instrument to listen. Frank Churchill sang again. They had sung together once or twice, it appeared at Weymouth. But the sight of Mr. Knightley, among the most attentive, soon drew away half Emma's mind, and she fell into a train of thinking on the subject of Mrs. Weston's suspicions, to which the sweet sounds of the United Voices gave only momentary interruption. Her objections to Mr. Knightley's marrying did not in the least subside. She could see nothing but evil in it. It would be a great disappointment to Mr. John Knightley, consequently to Isabella, a real injury to the children, a most mortifying change a material loss to them all, a very great deduction from her father's daily comfort, and as to herself, she could not at all endure the idea of Jane Fairfax at Donwell Abbey, a Mrs. Knightley for them all to give way to. No, Mr. Knightley must never marry. Little Henry must remain the heir of Donwell. Presently, Mr. Knightley looked back and came and sat down by her, They talked at first only of the performance. His admiration was certainly very warm, yet she thought, for Mrs. Weston, it would not have struck her. As a sort of touchstone, however, she began to speak of his kindness in conveying the aunt and niece, and though his answer was in the spirit of cutting the matter short, she believed it to indicate only his disinclination to dwell on any kindness of his own. I often feel concerned, said she, that I dare not make our carriage more useful on such occasions. It is not that I am without the wish, but you know how impossible my father would deem it that James should put out for such a purpose." "'Quite out of the question, quite out of the question,' he replied, "'but you must often wish it, I am sure.' "'And he smiled with such seeming pleasure at the conviction "'that she must proceed another step. "'This present from the Campbells,' said she, "'this pianoforte is very kindly given.' "'Yes,' he replied, and without the smallest apparent embarrassment. "'But they would have done better had they given her notice of it. "'Surprises are foolish things. "'The pleasure is not enhanced, and the inconvenience is often considerable. "'I should have expected better judgment in Colonel Campbell.' "'From that moment, Emma could have taken her oath "'that Mr. Knightley had had no concern in giving the instrument.' whether he were entirely free from peculiar attachment whether there were no actual preference remained a little longer doubtful toward the end of jane's second song her voice grew thick that will do said he when it was finished thinking aloud you have sung quite enough for one evening now be quiet another song however was soon begged for one more they would not fatigue miss fairfax on any account and would only ask for one more and frank churchill was heard to say i think you could manage this without effort the first part is so very trifling the strength of the song falls on the second mr knightley grew angry that fellow, said he indignantly, thinks of nothing but showing off his own voice. This must not be. And such Miss Bates, who at that moment passed near. Miss Bates, are you mad to let your niece sing herself hoarse in this manner? Go, and interfere. They have no mercy on her. Miss Bates, in her real anxiety for Jane, could hardly stay even to be grateful before she stepped forward and put an end to all further singing. Here ceased the concert part of the evening, for Miss Woodhouse and Miss Fairfax were the only young lady performers. But soon, within five minutes, the proposal of dancing, originating nobody exactly knew where was so effectually promoted by Mr. and Mrs. Cole that everything was rapidly cleared away to give proper space. Mrs. Weston, capital in her country dances, was seated, and beginning an irresistible waltz, and Frank Churchill, coming up with most becoming gallantry to Emma, had secured her hand and led her up to the top. While waiting till the other young people could pair themselves off, Emma found time, in spite of the compliments she was receiving on her voice and her taste, to look about and see what became of Mr. Knightley. This would be a trial. He was no dancer in general. If he were to be very alert and engaging Jane Fairfax now, it might augur something. There was no immediate appearance. No, he was talking to Mrs. Cole. He was looking on, unconcerned. Jane was asked by somebody else, and he was still talking to Mrs. Cole. Emma had no longer an alarm for Henry. His interest was yet safe, and she let off the dance with genuine spirit and enjoyment. Not more than five couples could be mustered but the rarity and the suddenness of it made it very delightful, and she found herself well-matched in a partner. They were a couple worth looking at. Two dances, unfortunately, were all that could be allowed. It was growing late, and Miss Bates became anxious to get home on her mother's account. After some attempts, therefore, to be permitted to begin again, they were obliged to thank Mrs. Weston, look sorrowful, and have done. Perhaps it is as well, said Frank Churchill, as he attended Emma to her carriage. I must have asked Miss Fairfax, and her languid dancing would not have agreed with me after yours. Chapter 27 Emma did not repent her condescension in going to the Coles. The visit afforded her many pleasant recollections the next day, and all that she might be supposed to have lost on the side of dignified seclusion must be amply repaid in the splendor of popularity. She must have delighted the Coles, worthy people who deserved to be made happy, and left a name behind her that would not soon die away. Perfect happiness, even in memory, is not common, and there were two points on which she was not quite easy. She doubted whether she had not transgressed the duty of woman by woman in betraying her suspicions of Jane Fairfax's feelings to Frank Churchill. It was hardly right, but it had been so strong an idea that it would escape her, and his submission to all that she told was a compliment to her penetration, which made it difficult for her to be quite certain that she ought to have held her tongue. The other circumstances of regret related also to Jane Fairfax, and there she had no doubt. She did unfeignedly and unequivocally regret the inferiority of her own playing and singing. She did most heartily grieve over the idleness of her childhood, and sat down and practiced vigorously an hour and a half. She was then interrupted by Harriet's coming in, and if Harriet's praise could have satisfied her, she might soon have been comforted. Oh, if I could but play as well as you and Miss Fairfax. Don't class us together, Harriet. My plane is no more like hers than a lamp is like sunshine. Oh, dear, I think you play the best of the two. I think you play quite as well as she does. I'm sure I'd much rather hear you. Everybody last night said how well you played. Those who knew anything about it must have felt the difference. The truth is, Harriet, that my playing is just good enough to be praised, but Jane Fairfax is as much beyond it. Well, I always shall think that you play quite as well as she does, or that if there is any difference, nobody would ever find it out. Mr. Cole said how much taste you had, and Mr. Frank Churchill talked a great deal about your taste, and that he valued taste much more than execution. Uh, but Jane Fairfax has them both, Harriet. Are you sure? I saw she had execution, but I did not know she had any taste. Nobody talked about it, and I hate Italian singing. There is no understanding a word of it. Besides, if she does play so very well, you know, it is no more than she is obliged to do, because she will have to teach. The Coxes were wondering last night whether she would get into any great family. How did you think the Coxes looked? "'Just as they always do, very vulgar.' "'They told me something,' said Harriet, rather hesitatingly, "'but it is nothing of any consequence. "'Emma was obliged to ask what they had told her, "'though fearful of its producing Mr. Elton. "'They told me that Mr. Martin dined with them last Saturday. "'Oh!' "'He came to their father upon some business, "'and he asked him to stay to dinner. "'Oh!' "'They talked a great deal about him, especially Anne Cox. "'I do not know what she meant, "'but she asked me if I thought I should go and stay there again next summer. "'She meant to be impertinently curious, just as Anne Cox should be.' she said he was very agreeable the day he dined there he sat by her at dinner miss nash thinks either of the Coxes would be very glad to marry him very likely i think they are without exception the most vulgar girls in highbury harriet had business at ford's emma thought it most prudent to go with her another accidental meeting with the martins was possible and in her present state would be dangerous harriet tempted by everything and swayed by half a word was always very long at a purchase and while she was still hanging over muslins and changing her mind, Emma went to the door for amusement. Much could not be hoped from the traffic of even the busiest part of Highbury. Mr. Perry walking hastily by, Mr. William Cox letting himself in at the office door, Mr. Cole's carriage horses returning from exercise, or a stray letter boy on an obstinate mule were the liveliest objects she could presume to expect. And when her eyes fell only on the butcher with his tray, a tidy old woman traveling homewards from shop with a full basket, two curs quarreling over a dirty bone, and a string of dawdling children round the baker's little bow window eyeing the gingerbread she knew she had no reason to complain and was amused enough quite enough still to stand at the door a mind lively and at ease can do with seeing nothing and can see nothing that does not answer she looked down the randalls road the scene enlarged two persons appeared mrs weston and her son-in-law they were walking into highbury to hartfield of course they were stopping however in the first place at mrs bates whose house was a little nearer randall's than ford's and had all but knocked when emma caught their eye Immediately they crossed the road and came forward to her, and the agreeableness of yesterday's engagement seemed to give fresh pleasure to the present medium. Mrs. Weston informed her that she was going to call on the Bateses in order to hear the new instrument. For my companion tells me, said she, that I absolutely promised Miss Bates last night that I could come this morning. I was not aware of it myself. I did not know that I had fixed a day, but as he says I did, I am going now. And while Mrs. Weston pays her visit, I may be allowed, I hope, said Frank Churchill, to join your party and wait for her at Hartfield if you are going home. "'Mrs. Weston was disappointed. "'I thought you meant to go with me. "'They would be very much pleased. "'Me? I should be quite in the way. "'But perhaps I may be equally in the way here. "'Miss Woodhouse looks as if she did not want me. "'My aunt always sends me off when she is shopping. "'She says I fidget her to death, "'and Miss Woodhouse looks as if she could almost say the same. "'What am I to do?' "'I am here on no business of my own,' said Emma. "'I am only waiting for my friend. "'She will probably have soon done, and then we shall go home. "'But you had better go with Mrs. Weston and hear the instrument. "'Well, if you advise it, but with a smile.' If Colonel Campbell should have employed a careless friend, and if it should prove to have an indifferent tone, what shall I say? I shall be no support to Mrs. Weston. She might do very well by herself. A disagreeable truth would be palatable through her lips, but I am the wretchedest being in the world at a civil falsehood. I do not believe any such thing, replied Emma. I am persuaded that you can be as insincere as your neighbors when it is necessary, but there is no reason to suppose the instrument is indifferent, quite otherwise indeed, if I understood Miss Fairfax's opinion last night. Do come with me, said Mrs. Weston, if it be not very disagreeable to you. I need not detain us long. We will go to Hartfield afterwards. We will follow them to Hartfield. I really wish you to call with me. It will be felt so great an attention, and I always thought you meant it. He could say no more, and, with the hope of Hartfield to reward him, returned with Mrs. Weston to Mrs. Bates's door. Emma watched the men, and then joined Harriet at the interesting counter, trying with all the force of her own mind to convince her that if she wanted plain muslin, it was of no use to look at figured and that a blue ribbon, be it ever so beautiful, would still never match her yellow pattern. At last it was all settled, even to the destination of the parcel. "'Should I send it to Mrs. Goddard's, ma'am?' asked Mrs. Ford. "'Yes. No. Yes, to Mrs. Goddard's. Only my pattern gown is at Hartfield. No, you shall send it to Hartfield, if you please. But then Mrs. Goddard will want to see it, and I could take the pattern gown home any day. But I shall want the ribbon directly, so it had better go to Hartfield, at least the ribbon. You could make it into two parcels, Mrs. Ford, could not you?' It is not worth while harriet to give mrs ford the trouble of two parcels no more it is no trouble in the world ma'am said the obliging mrs ford oh but indeed i would much rather have it only in one then if you please you shall send it all to mrs goddard's i do not know no i think miss woodhouse i may just as well have it sent to hartfield and take it home with me at night what do you advise that you do not give another half second to the subject to hartfield if you please mrs ford i that will be much best said harriet quite satisfied i should not at all like to have it sent to mrs goddard's voices approaching the shop or rather one voice and two ladies mrs weston and miss bates met them at the door my dear miss woodhouse said the latter i am just run across to entreat the favor of you to come and sit down with us a little while and give us your opinion of our new instrument you and miss smith how do you do miss smith very well i thank you and i begged mrs weston to come with me that i might be sure of succeeding i hope mrs bates and miss fairfax are very well i am much obliged to you my mother is delightfully well and jane caught no cold last night how is mr woodhouse i am so glad to hear such a good account Mrs. Weston told me you were here. Oh, then, said I, I must run across. I am sure Miss Woodhouse will allow me just to run across and entreat her to come in. My mother will be so very happy to see her, and now we are such a nice party she cannot refuse. I pray do, said Mr. Frank Churchill. Miss Woodhouse's opinion of the instrument will be worth having. But, said I, I shall be more sure of succeeding if one of you will go with me. Oh, said he, wait half a minute till I have finished my job for would you believe it, miss woodhouse there he is in the most obliging manner in the world fastening on the rivet of my mother's spectacles the rivet came out you know this morning so very obliging my mother had no use of her spectacles could not put them on and by the by everybody ought to have two pairs of spectacles they should indeed jane said so I meant to take them over to John Saunders, the first thing I did, but something or other hindered me all the morning. First one thing, then another. There is no saying what, you know. At one time, Patty came to say she thought the kitchen chimney wanted sweeping. Oh, said I, Patty, do not come with your bad news to me. Here is the rivet of your mistress's spectacles out. Then the baked apples came home. Mrs. Wallace sent them by her boy. They are extremely civil and obliging to us the Wallaces always. I have heard some people say that mrs wallace can be uncivil and give a very rude answer but we have never known anything but the greatest attention from them and it cannot be for the value of our custom now for what is our consumption of bread you know only three of us besides dear jane at present and she really eats nothing makes such a shocking breakfast you would be quite frightened if you saw it i dare not let my mother know how little she eats so i say one thing and then i say another and it passes off but about the middle of the day she gets hungry and there is nothing she likes so well as these baked apples and they are extremely wholesome for I took the opportunity the other day of asking Mr. Perry. I happened to meet him in the street. Not that I had any doubt before. I have so often heard Mr. Woodhouse recommend a baked apple. I believe it is the only way that Mr. Woodhouse thinks the fruit thoroughly wholesome. We have apple dumplings, however, very often. Patty makes an excellent apple dumpling. Well, Mrs. Weston, you have prevailed, I hope, and these ladies will oblige us. Emma would be very happy to wait on Mrs. Bates, etc., and they did at last move out of the shop with no further delay from Miss Bates Then. "'How do you do, Mrs. Ford? I beg your pardon. I did not see you before. "'I heard you have a charming collection of new ribbons from town. "'Jane came back delighted yesterday. "'Thank you. The gloves do very well. "'Only a little too large about the wrist, but Jane is taking them in.' "'What was I talking of?' said she, beginning again when they were all in the street. "'Emma wondered on what, of all the medley, she would fix. "'I declare, I cannot recollect what I was talking of. "'Oh, my mother's spectacles, so very obliging of Mr. Frank Churchill.' "'Oh,' said he, "'I do think I can fasten the rivet. "'I like a job of this kind excessively,' "'which, you know, showed him to be so very—' "'Indeed, I must say that, much as I had heard of him before, "'and much as I had expected, he very far exceeds anything. "'I do congratulate you, Mrs. Weston, most warmly. "'He seems everything the fondest parent could—' "'Oh,' said he, "'I can fasten the rivet. "'I like a job of that sort excessively. "'I never shall forget his manner. "'And when I brought out the baked apples from the closet "'and hoped our friends would be so very obliging as to take some— "'Oh,' said he directly, "'there is nothing in the way of fruit half so good, "'and these are the finest-looking home-baked apples "'I ever saw in my life. "'That, you know, was so very... "'And I am sure by his manner it was no compliment. "'Indeed, they are very delightful apples, "'and Mrs. Wallace does them full justice, "'only we do not have them baked more than twice. "'Mr. Woodhouse makes us promise to have them done three times, "'but Miss Woodhouse would be so good as not to mention it. "'The apples themselves are the very finest sort for baking, "'beyond a doubt, all from Donwell, "'some of Mr. Knightley's most liberal supply.' He sends us a sack every year, and certainly there never was such a keeping apple anywhere as one of his trees. I believe there is two of them. My mother says the orchard was always famous in her younger days, but I was really quite shocked the other day, for Mr. Knightley called one morning, and Jane was eating these apples, and we talked about them, and said how much she enjoyed them, and he asked whether we were not got to the end of our stock. I am sure you must be, said he, and I will send you another supply, for I have a great many more than I can never use. William Larkins let me keep a larger quantity than usual this year. "'I will send you some more, before they get good for nothing.' "'So I begged he would not, for really, as to ours being gone, "'I could not absolutely say that we had a great many left. "'It was but half a dozen, indeed, but they should be all kept for Jane. "'And I could not at all bear that he should be sending us more, "'so liberal as he had been already, and Jane said the same. "'And when he was gone, she almost quarrelled with me. "'No, I should not say quarrelled, for we never had a quarrel in our lives. "'But she was quite distressed, that I owned the apples were so nearly gone, "'she wished I had made him believe we had a great many left.' "'Oh,' said I, my dear, I did say as much as I could. "'However, the very same evening, William Larkins came over with a large basket of apples, "'the same sort of apples, a bushel at least, and I was very much obliged, "'and went down and spoke to William Larkins and said everything, as you may suppose. "'William Larkins is such an old acquaintance. "'I am always glad to see him. "'But, however, I found afterwards from Patty that William said it was all the apples of that sort his master had. "'He had brought them all, and now his master had not one left to bake or boil. "'William did not seem to mind it himself. "'He was so pleased to think his master had sold so many.' For William, you know, thinks more of his master's profit than anything. But Mrs. Hodges, he said, was quite displeased at their being all sent away. She could not bear that her master should not be able to have another apple tart this spring. He told Patty this, but bid her not mind it, and be sure not to say anything to us about it, for Mrs. Hodges would be cross sometimes, and as long as so many sacks were sold, it did not signify who ate the remainder. And so Patty told me, and I was excessively shocked indeed. I would not have Mr. Knightley know anything about it for the world. He would be so very... I wanted to keep it from Jane's knowledge, but unluckily I had mentioned it before I was aware. Miss Bates had just done as Patty opened the door, and her visitors walked upstairs, without having any regular narration to attend to, pursued only by the sounds of her desultory goodwill. Pray take care, Mrs. Weston. There is a step at the turning. Pray take care, Miss Woodhouse. Ours is rather a dark staircase, rather darker and narrower than one could wish. Miss Smith, pray take care. Miss Woodhouse, I am quite concerned. I am sure you hit your foot. Miss Smith, the step at the turning." Chapter 28. The appearance of the little sitting-room as they entered was tranquility itself. Mrs. Bates, deprived of her usual employment, slumbering on one side of the fire, Frank Churchill at a table near her, most deedily occupied with her spectacles, and Jane Fairfax, standing with her back to them, intent on her pianoforte. Busy as he was, however, the young man was yet able to show a most happy countenance of seeing Emma again. "'This is a pleasure,' said he, in a rather low voice, coming at least ten minutes earlier than I had calculated. "'You find me trying to be useful. Tell me if you think I shall succeed.' "'What?' said Mrs. Weston. "'Have not you finished it yet? "'You would not earn a very good livelihood as a working silversmith at this rate.' "'I have not been working uninterruptedly,' he replied. "'I have been assisting Miss Fairfax in trying to make her instrument stand steadily. "'It was not quite firm. "'An unevenness in the floor, I believe. "'You see, we have been wedging one leg with paper. "'This was very kind of you to be persuaded to come. "'I was almost afraid you would be hurrying home.' "'He contrived that she should be seated by him, "'and was sufficiently employed in looking out the best baked apple for her.' and trying to make her help, or advise him in his work, till Jane Fairfax was quite ready to sit down to the pianoforte again. That she was not immediately ready, Emma did suspect to arise from the state of her nerves. She had not yet possessed the instrument long enough to touch it without emotion. She must reason herself into the power of performance, and Emma could not but pity such feelings, whatever their origin, and could not but resolve never to expose them to her neighbor again. At last Jane began, and though the first bars were feebly given, the powers of the instrument were gradually done full justice to. Mrs. Weston had been delighted before, and was delighted again. Emma joined her in all her praise, and the pianoforte, with every proper discrimination, was pronounced to be altogether of the highest promise. "'Whoever Colonel Campbell might employ,' said Frank Churchill with a smile at Emma, "'the person is not chosen ill.' I had a great deal of Colonel Campbell's taste at Weymouth, and the softness of the upper notes I am sure is exactly what he and all the party would particularly prize. I dare say, Miss Fairfax, that he either gave his friend very minute directions, or wrote to Broadwood himself. Do not you think so?' Jane did not look round. She was not obliged to hear. Mrs. Weston had been speaking to her at the same moment. It is not fair, said Emma man, a whisper. Mine was a random guess. Do not distress her. He shook his head with a smile and looked as if he had very little doubt and very little mercy. Soon afterwards he began again. How much your friends in Ireland must be enjoying your pleasure on this occasion, Miss Fairfax. I dare say they often think of you and wonder which will be the day, the precise day, of the instruments coming to hand. To imagine Colonel Campbell knows the business to be going forward just at this time, to imagine it to be the consequence of an immediate commission from him, or that he may have sent only a general direction an order indefinitely as to time to depend upon contingencies and conveniences he paused, she could not but hear she could not avoid answering till I have a letter from Colonel Campbell said she in a voice of forced calmness, I can imagine nothing with any confidence. It must be all conjecture conjecture, ay, sometimes one conjectures right, and sometimes one conjectures wrong. I wish I could conjecture how soon I shall make this rivet quite firm. What nonsense one talks, Miss Woodhouse when hard at work if one talks at all. Your real workmen, I suppose, hold their tongues, but we gentlemen laborers, if we get hold of a word, Miss Fairfax said something about conjecturing. There, it is done. I have the pleasure, madam, to Mrs. Bates, of restoring your spectacles, healed for the present. He was very warmly thanked, both by mother and daughter. To escape a little from the latter, he went to the pianoforte and begged Miss Fairfax, who was still sitting at it, to play something more. If you are very kind, said he, it will be one of the waltzes we danced last night. "'Let me live them over again. "'You did not enjoy them as I did. "'You appeared tired the whole time. "'I believe you were glad we danced no longer, "'but I would have given worlds, "'all the worlds one ever has to give "'for another half-hour.' "'She played. "'What felicity it is to hear a tune again "'which has made one happy. "'If I mistake not, this was danced at Weymouth.' "'She looked up at him for a moment, colored deeply, and played something else. "'He took some music from a chair near the pianoforte "'and turning to Emma said, "'Here is something quite new to me. "'Do you know it? "'Kramer. "'And here are a new set of Irish melodies.' that from such a quarter one might expect this was all sent with the instrument very thoughtful of colonel campbell was not it he knew miss fairfax could have no music here i honor that part of the attention particularly it shows it to have been so thoroughly from the heart nothing hastily done nothing incomplete true affection only could have prompted it emma wished he would be less pointed yet could not help being amused And when, on glancing her eye toward Jane Fairfax, she caught the remains of a smile, when she saw that with all of the deep blush of consciousness there had been a smile of secret delight, she had less scruple in the amusement, and much less compunction with respect to her. This amiable, upright, perfect Jane Fairfax was apparently cherishing very reprehensible feelings. He brought all the music to her, and they looked it over together. Emma took the opportunity of whispering, "'You speak too plain. She must understand you.' "'I hope she does. I would have her understand me. I am not in the least ashamed of my meaning.' but really, I am half ashamed, and wish I had never taken up the idea. I am very glad you did, and that you communicated it to me. I have now a key to all her odd looks and ways. Leave shame to her. If she does wrong, she ought to feel it. She's not entirely without it, I think. I do not see much sign of it. She is playing Robin Adair at this moment, his favorite. Shortly afterwards, Miss Bates, passing near the window, described Mr. Knightley on horseback not far off. "'Mr. Knightley, I declare. I must speak to him, if possible, just to thank him. I will not open the window here. It would give you all cold. But I can go into my mother's room, you know. I dare say he will come in when he knows who is here. Quite delightful to have you all meet so, our little room so honoured. She was in the adjoining chamber while she still spoke, and opening the casement there immediately called Mr. Knightley's attention, and every syllable of their conversation was as distinctly heard by the others as if it had passed within the same apartment. "'How do you do? How do you do? Very well, I thank you.' "'So obliged to you for the carriage last night. "'We were just in time, my mother just ready for us. "'Pray come in, do come in. "'You will find some friends here.' "'So began Miss Bates, and Mr. Knightley seemed determined to be heard in his turn, "'for most resolutely and commandingly did he say, "'How is your niece, Miss Bates? "'I want to inquire after you all, but particularly your niece. "'How is Miss Fairfax? "'I hope she caught no cold last night. "'How is she today? "'Tell me how Miss Fairfax is.' "'And Miss Bates was obliged to give a direct answer before he would hear her in anything else.' The listeners were amused, and Mrs. Weston gave Emma a look of particular meaning, but Emma still shook her head in steady skepticism. "'So obliged to you, so very much obliged to you for the carriage,' resumed Miss Bates. He cut her short with, "'I'm going to Kingston. Can I do anything for you?' "'Oh, dear, Kingston, are you?' Mrs. Cole was saying the other day she wanted something from Kingston. "'Mrs. Cole has servants to send. Can I do anything for you?' "'No, I thank you, but do come in. Who do you think is here, Miss Woodhouse and Miss Smith, so kind as to call to hear the new piano forte?' "'Do put up your horse at the crown and come in.' "'Well,' said he in a deliberating manner, "'for five minutes, perhaps. "'And here is Mrs. Weston and Mr. Frank Churchill, too. "'Quite delightful. So many friends.' "'No, not now, I thank you. "'I could not stay two minutes. "'I must get on to Kingston as fast as I can. "'Oh, do come in. "'They will be so very happy to see you. "'No, no, your room is full enough. "'I will call another day and hear the piano forte. "'Well, I am so sorry. "'Oh, Mr. Knightley, what a delightful party last night. "'How extremely pleasant. "'Did you ever see such dancing? "'Was not it delightful?' Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Frank Churchill, I never saw anything equal to it. Oh, very delightful indeed. I can say nothing less, for I suppose Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Frank Churchill are hearing everything that passes. And, raising his voice still more, I do not see why Miss Fairfax should not be mentioned too. I think Miss Fairfax dances very well, and Mrs. Weston is the very best country dance player without exception in England. Now, if your friends have any gratitude, they will say something pretty loud about you and me in return, but I cannot stay to hear it. Oh, Mr. Knightley, one moment more. Something of consequence. So shocked. and i are both so shocked about the apples what is the matter now to think of your sending us all your store of apples you said you had a great many and now you have not one left we really are so shocked mrs hodges may well be angry william larkins mentioned it here you should not have done it indeed you should not ah he is off he never can bear to be thanked but i thought he would have stayed now and it would have been a pity not to have mentioned well returning to the room i have not been able to succeed mr knightley cannot stop "'He's going to Kingston. He asked me if he could do anything.' "'Yes,' said Jane. "'We heard his kind offers. We heard everything.' "'Oh, yes, my dear. I dare dare say you might, "'because you know the door was open, and the window was open, "'and Mr. Knightley spoke loud. "'You must have heard everything, to be sure. "'Can I do anything for you at Kingston?' said he. "'So I just mentioned. "'Oh, Miss Woodhouse, must you be going? "'You seem but just come, so very obliging of you.' Emma found it really time to be at home. The visit had already lasted long, and on examining watches, so much of the morning was perceived to be gone that Mrs. Weston and her companion, taking leave also, could allow themselves only to walk with the two young ladies to Hartfield Gates before they set off for Randalls. Okay, things are getting a little bit messy. (laughs) Maybe messy is the best way to describe it. Um, Before we get into discussion, I just wanted to... Give you all a little bit more insight into how i'm able to make this podcast a reality okay so things things get a little bit messy in these chapters um emma gets like really upset about frank taking a day to go get his haircut. um she thinks that that's like super inconsiderate of him And then to make matters worse, um, the Coles are, like, trying to better even further their standing in the society by trying to offer dinners and dances and having people come by their house. And Emma thinks that that is in very poor taste, that the Coles are not um, of the well-to-do breeding that she would require in order to be encouraged to go to a party or a dance or a dinner with them. Um, But then she ends up going because she is very... uh upset that at first she doesn't get an invitation because she wants to have that ability to decline it, um, and then when the Westons are interested in going, she is persuaded to go herself. She realizes that the uh, attention from Frank is increasing, and um, she goes to the party, and she sees Mr. Knightley, and he has, she, he has his horses with him, which is a little bit bizarre because normally he doesn't. Um, But she doesn't think much of it, just thinks, like, he looks way better than he normally does. Uh, He looks very elegant, as Emma likes uh, to see people. And then at dinner, she's hearing that Jane received a piano forte, a pretty nice one. Not, like, a top-of-the-line, high-class kind of one, but, like, still a a pretty good piano. And they're all kind of trying to guess as to who gave it because it was a surprise. So even Jane claims to not know who exactly sent it to her, um, but that's a pretty big thing to have delivered as a surprise. Um, And everybody thinks Colonel Campbell. Emma, however, thinks that it was Mr. and Mrs. Dixon, particularly Mr. Dixon, and she shares that with Frank, who then kind of takes those suspicions as his own. Um, But later we find out that Mrs. Weston has a different idea and that she thinks Mr. Knightley sent it. Um, And that Mr. Knightley is interested in Jane. And Emma is very put off by this idea. She does not agree with it. She thinks it is the silliest idea ever, um, that he would never give somebody such an item as a surprise because he thinks that it's foolish. Um, but also, she thinks that he is just being a nice person by letting, by letting other people use his carriage when otherwise they would have had to walk. She thinks that that's just part of his good nature and that it's not of any concern. Um, and then that's kind of furthered in her mind when uh, he takes no interest in hearing her continue to play. And then when the dancing happens, he doesn't inquire about dancing with her. He just stands talking to Mrs. Cole. Emma feels pretty good about him, probably not too entirely smitten with Jane. And then she's talking to Harriet, and Harriet says that the Coxes were talking about how they had uh, dinner with Mr. Martin, and that they really liked him, uh, and and that he heard Miss Nash say that either of the Coxes would be happy to marry Mr. Martin. Uh, and Emma is like, yes, they are in the same social rank as him, so that makes sense. Um, And then they have to go shopping, and Emma's like, I need to go with Harriet because she consistently uh, is enamored by everything. She makes horrible choices. She takes forever. She needs somebody there to kind of temper her. Um, And while she's there, she sees Mrs. Weston and Frank, and they are going to see the new pianoforte of James, and Frank just wants to go hang out with Emma, but Emma's like, no, go listen to the pianoforte. Like, you can come by the house later. And then... We kind of see a few more instances of Mrs. Weston's suspicions maybe um, having some kind of authority behind them because he sends all of these apples to Jane, uh, all of these apples that he could have kept for himself. Um, And when he comes by the house, he also talks highly of Jane and inquires about her first and intentionally decides to not stay for a few minutes when he hears um, that Frank is also there. Uh, Which I think is also an interesting point to keep in mind when we read further, because he seems to really have something against Frank, and I think it will definitely develop if he is already saying, oh yeah, I'll come in for a minute, and then she says, oh, Frank is here, and he's like, no, I can't stay, I have to go. Um, That will definitely turn into something at some point, I am certain. So, things are starting to get really messy, (laughs) and... I'm curious to see how they will continue to progress um, as we get further into the story. We're about halfway through now, so we're at kind of a turning point, and I can't wait to see how this develops. Thank you for listening. This has been chapters 23 through 28 of Emma by Jane Austen. Stay tuned for our next episode on Monday that will look at 29 through 35.